Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Say that three times fast. That's only said. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read verses 13 through 18. So let's do that. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Glory, hallelujah, when you read those verses. Those who are alive and remain, listen to this, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. therefore. Comfort one another with these words. Whew, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to just speak to us today and move in this place, God. Would you be high and lifted up? Would you be exalted, Lord? Would you become the object of our affection and our heart's desire, our only focus and attention in these moments here today? Would you help every one of us in our hearts and minds silence distractions and set aside tasks or responsibilities and, and not allow them to invade the the space that we have here today to be intimately with you. Lord, would you speak through me? Would you encourage us? Would you build us up in this time that we're in, that we may be a mighty army of warriors for you, God, full of hope and faith and joy and peace and strength in every area of our lives, in every place that we go. Would you, would you raise us up to be that way, God, that we may be trusted to be sent that our steps may go into the dark places in our communities where we can carry the light that overwhelms the darkness. That light, God, that's in us because you are in us. Hallelujah. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit and power that lives in us today. And we announce and we declare that we are here, God, for an experience with you, an encounter with you, Lord, the creator of the universe, that we would be changed and different from a moment in your presence today. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the invitation and the availability and your willingness to meet with us and do these things. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Woo! Man, I'm feeling fired up today. This is good. Man, I love uh, these verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Many of you probably already picked up on or identified with this text. That these are the scriptures that speak about a concept that we refer to commonly in the church as the rapture. Right? Many of us are aware of that and know a bit about it. Some of us are, have heard of it but don't know a lot about it. Uh, the rapture speaks about a time when Jesus will return at the end of the church age as the eternal age begins to be ushered in. Jesus returns on a white horse. The clouds tear open. The battle of Armageddon is over, 
right? And, and it says that those who are on the earth when that happens, who have, those who have not gone on to be with Christ already, those are the ones who have fallen asleep, Paul's talking about. They've already departed. But those who are still on the earth when that day comes, says that we will be caught up in the air in a moment to be with the Lord in the sky as He returns. Isn't that a beautiful picture that encourages the heart of a believer? And when it says in, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, 25, He talks about this period of time. He says it happens as like a twinkling of an eye. It just begins in a moment. He comes like a thief in the night. And so how this happens is a bit mysterious, of course, but a lot of th- times we hear that concept, rapture, uh, and, and some people will say, well, I'm not sure exactly what that means. Listen, I just want to give you a little bit of history and background on this. The word rapture you don't find in the Bible, okay? We use the word rapture to describe this event that Paul talks about here. We believe that it's also referenced in other places. It's foreshadowed in many places. And he uses, uh, we use the word rapture to describe what Paul says, the catching away, catching away. Or the seizing. And that's a Greek word in the scriptures, the holy text, called harpezo. Well, in the early 300s, 400s AD, the Bible began to be translated into Latin, hence the acceptance of Christianity by the Roman Empire. The word in Latin that's used for the Greek word harpezo is a Latin word rapturo. And that's where we pull this concept, this term rapture from. So just don't let anybody tell you, well, rapture's not in the Bible, there's no such thing. Well, that word is not, but the catching away or the seizing away of the brethren very much is, okay? This is what I want to draw your attention to, though. Paul talks about in these verses, the Bible talks about in many other places that we'll visit, um, discussion or language and references to what it's going to be like when we leave this world, okay? What heaven and the afterlife look like. The Bible speaks about that in many places. And Paul says something right here at the end. In fact, I had you re- like say out loud with me the word therefore, because what he does is he talks about heaven, he talks about things that are going to occur when we leave this world, and then he says therefore, so because of these things, very, very powerful statement that I think we need to put an exclamation point on today for ourselves. He says, therefore, comfort one another in these things. You see that? Comfort one another with these things. Now, this is a bit of a dichotomy for a lot of Christians until we travel into Scripture, until we really begin to build our understanding about what the Bible is trying to equip us with. Because in a lot of situations, we think he's talking about death, he's talking about our end and mortality and demise, and then he says, get excited about this. Isn't that crazy? Get excited about this. Comfort one another. Encourage one another with these things. But here's what, we'll, here's what we're going to find. And we're going we're gonna to really spend some time over the next couple of weeks uh, talking about heaven. Does that excite you? Yeah? Let me say it another way. I'm going to get you excited to die. <laughs> that sounded weird. But anyway, I'm going to get you excited about dying. Um. So we're going to spend some time talking about heaven because the Bible gives us a lot about heaven. Now, when we look at everything the Bible gives us, look, no question about it, there's still more mystery than there is clarity, right? Because 
everything is yet to be revealed. All we really have to go off of is what the scriptures tell us. And there are a lot of random opinions and thoughts out there people have about heaven. Some people suggest that they've been there and come back and they paint a picture of what they've seen. Others know people who have and many people have just opinions that they like to think heaven is about because it makes them feel good. You know, I'm not going to say that any of those things are wrong and I'm not going to say that people haven't been and come back. In fact, I actually think people have. But what I am saying is that the only thing we can actually build our hope and our faith and our joy off of when it, when it comes to the afterlife is what this word right here gives us. I hear things sometimes that people will say about heaven or an experience or people that they know, and I think to myself, well, that, that's plausible because that lines up with things that Scripture says. I've, I've heard people say, I had a vision of heaven, or I, I've experienced heaven, and I was near death, and then I came back, and I saw uh, colors everywhere, Dan. There were colors like I've never seen. In fact, I don't even know how to describe it, because there's nothing in the world that, that even compares to it, but it's just colors beyond what we know. And I think to myself, well, that's plausible, because Revelation chapter 21 says that the foundations of heaven are adorned with many precious stones. And many of the stones that it lists off, we're not even really sure exactly what they are. And it also says that the city of heaven is pure gold, but it's not yellow gold, it's clear as crystal like transparent glass. And then it also says that the glory of God radiates through all of heaven. In fact, it's so bright that there's no need for a sun or a moon because the glory of God just shines all the time. And so then I think to myself, the fact that all of these colors were possibly seen is plausible because the glory of God shining through a crystal clear glass city and precious jewels, light refracting and bending and turning, could create an array of colors that would be beyond our ability to even give expression to. So I think that's plausible, you know. But Scripture encourages us about heaven. That's what I want us to see is that it speaks about it, God intentionally speaks about it enough in such a way where as we begin to understand it, folks, we can make this pivot or this shift where it goes from being kind of something that we stay away from, something we don't like to talk about or think about, to something that we are actually excited and encouraged and long for. It's a level of spiritual maturity that I think we all are meant to get to. And, and what you'll find is that for a lot of people, even Christians in the church, when they think about heaven or they think about death, it's something that they are afraid of. How many people, if, let me just ask a question, be honest, how many people have you thought about heaven before and you've wondered a lot, like I wonder what it's like? Have you ever pictured yourself just like sitting on a fluffy cloud? Like, what will I do? I'm just going to be sitting on a cloud. I hope it's like a Serta mattress, you know, like sleep by number. It's like, what will we do? Have you ever wondered, what? what will we do? Maybe you have thought about heaven and you've been really, really confused. I've heard people say these things and I've heard this before and I'm not, I'm not really sure. And like, you, you're not even able to really make sense of it all. You're more confused than you are clear about it. Anybody say that maybe that they've been there or that's where they are? Or let me ask you it this way, and be honest, how many people have thought about dying, have thought about heaven, and you're afraid, or you've been afraid? And you see, a lot of people are. 
So the title of this series that we're going to spend the next few weeks going through, and oh, I'm so excited to do this. In fact, this all began as a personal journey with the Lord over the last couple years for me, just really digging in and studying, because I was fascinated by all this, um, about heaven, about the afterlife, about what the Bible says throughout. And it just began to do exactly what the scriptures say. It just began to encourage and comfort me and produce this great, this level of faith and excitement in me. And then here lately, it's like, okay, I felt like the Lord was turning this thing into, let's go and let's share this with, with the church. So the series is called, I'm Not Afraid to Die. Can you say that with me? I'm not afraid to die. If that's a true expression, a genuine expression of our heart, because our faith is in the place where we can really say that, this is what I'm going to suggest to you. You're going to live way differently in this earth. When a fear of death can no longer intimidate a son or daughter of Christ, Satan has lost a significant leverage point in the life of God's people. Isn't that powerful? I'm not afraid to die. You see, when we study this, Paul writes about it a lot. Jesus talked about it quite a bit too. Paul's way of speaking is just with this great boldness and this confidence where he's clearly, clearly not afraid to die. And I'm going to visit some texts and some different scriptures and see things that over this first week here that are just going to encourage us about the realities of what knowing about heaven should produce in our lives. And I think what you're going to find is it's anything but scary, fearful, or something we want to stay away from. In fact, the Bible says that we should actually keep our eyes set on heavenly things and things of above. And I, I just want to encourage you or present to you that it's not okay to stay away from this if the Bible says we use this to comfort and encourage one another. It's not okay in our own mind, I don't want to think about death, I don't want to think about dying, I don't want to think about that. It's actually not okay to do that. It leaves kind of this vulnerable place in us for the enemy to try to get to. It's, it's actually a discussion, a conversation, a meditation, a prayer, a journey, an encouraging time within, among us that we, we need to visit and we need to go to. We need to get as much clarity about what heaven is going to be like so that in our soul we explode and we burst to this point where it's like, I'm encouraged by this and I can encourage someone else about this, right? I, I love these conversations. We get into with people, friends and different times and things like that and heaven comes up and you, know, you hear the things and more often what I hear is I hear a lot of confusion. Like, I, what, are you, what is this and what is that? And, and then it continues to remind me like, wow, the church, we as the church, we really need to be taught about heaven. And we need to be taught well, because there's so much encouragement that we draw from it whenever faith begins to develop on the inside of us for what the Bible tells us about it. So let's go to Philippians chapter 1, and let's see how the Bible equips us to understand and live today with an, with an awareness of heaven. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Paul says this, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. Listen to this. This is unbelievable right here. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to remain in the flesh, which is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith. Wow. Paul is saying right here, there's this genuine like tension in me. He's like, as real as I can be with you, I'm telling you that I'm kind of like torn between these two things. One is staying in this world and living longer with all of you, and the other is dying and going to be with Jesus. Do you get that? Do you see that? He's, he's genuinely saying, I'm torn and conflicted between the great parts of both of these things. He says, because to be with you, I get to continue to do God's work and continue to impart to you and raise you up and we can take the gospel into more places and build the kingdom and it's great and, and that's such an awesome thing and I love that. But there's this other part of me that understands enough about what I am going to receive and inherit when I leave this world. There's enough of an understanding there that there's this part of me that says, I kind of want to go there now too. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this dude's not afraid to die. If we could say that, if we could genuinely say, I'm, I'm really hard-pressed between the two. I love my family. I love you know, what God has given me opportunity to do on this earth. And while I'm here, I'm going to use my last breath to serve him and help build his church. But man, there's this part of me that's like, gosh, heaven is going to be so amazing that I'm just, I'm just kind of like longing for that even now. Paul says, I'm just, I'm conflicted between these two things. Now, to be very uh, clear and frank with you, I didn't always feel this way. No, not at all. I didn't always feel like that. But the more I understand about heaven, the more I've peered into the scriptures, I'm telling you, the more I am in this place where I say, I'm not afraid to die. I am not afraid to die. Now, there is a part of me that can relate to Paul because I think I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my family, like I love life with them. I love seeing them grow up. I, I don't want to cut that short. I know if I'm gone, they're going to struggle and grieve in certain ways, and that hurts me to think about. So there is that whole part of it. But then this other part of me thinks, I'm going, we've raised our kids to know the Lord, and they're going to be there with us, and this is going to be this amazing place, and, and so I'm, I'm not afraid of that either. Does that make sense? We've actually raised our kids, we're, we, we talk about this with our kids, about heaven, and sometimes they'll say, oh, I'm looking forward to heaven, and you think, that sounds really strange coming out of a little kid's mouth sometimes, you know, uh, but then I think about it, I'm like, I want them to say that, I want them to feel that way, I want them to not be scared of what death will bring, I want them to look forward because in the reality of what the Bible tells us, it's actually an infinitely better place than as good as things could ever get down here. When we grasp that, folks, the enemy begins, ah, he loses. His grip just slips and fades from our life, and he loses so much of his ability 
to intimidate God's people in this world. Isn't that powerful to think about? You see, to the worldly man or woman, to the worldly, death is a great loss. It is, because we leave everything behind of this world. We don't take any of it with us. All the possessions, all the material things, things that people spend their entire lifetime trying to accumulate, and then it's all gone. That's a test right there to think about, isn't it? Where am I at? To the worldly man, death is a great loss. But to the heavenly man, it's of great gain. And Paul says, I get that. Because I'm gaining something that's far greater when I would depart to go be with Christ. It's not, you see that? It's not a loss. It's actually an increase. It's a gain to something even better. There's nothing that's a stepping off moment. It's a stepping into something beyond what we can really ever even fully know right now. Hallelujah. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Um, and I think that it's good to think about death and mortality because it forces us to think about eternity. When we think about what happens after this, it forces us to think about what does eternity hold for me. And every cr- person in creation needs to think about that and have that thought and have that conversation because it's in the pursuit of that that will lead us to the truth and the light. What happens when I'm gone? And so let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul continues on speaking about heaven and after death like this. He says in verse 54, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there it is again, right? Because of all this, therefore... My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Wow. Wow. Hallelujah. The Word of God just releases something over my life when I read those verses right there. You see, he says this this sting of death has been taken away. Think about this with me for just a second. It really is logical. If death were permanent, if it were the end, we would have very little to have hope about. Does that make sense? See, that's the sting of death. That's the grip that death would be able to have on a man or a woman. That This is it. It's over after this. It's fading out. Time is running out. And have nothing to look forward to after this. That is hopeless, folks. But Paul says, that's not the reality for the Christian. He says, Jesus took 
away the sting of death because he defeated death and the grave. He rose from the grave. He defeated it. Death could not hold him. And when we die a physical death, we are raised with him, resurrected with him, which means that death and the grave has no hold on us either. So when we think about it, we've got to be able to say, death, for me, it's lost its sting. I'm not afraid to die because the grave will not hold me because it didn't hold my Lord and he made a way for me to be with him for all of eternity. Wow, it's lost its sting. He says, for, for the believer, death can no longer hold us in its clutches. No longer can. None of us can resist death in our own strength. Would you agree with me on that? Haven't discovered a fountain of youth yet. Everybody's been looking for it for centuries. Nobody's found it. None of us can resist death in our own strength. But in Christ, every one of us who accept him can say we have conquered the grave through what Jesus has done for us. Wow, something so powerful to say. Death, it's lost its sting. And he says here, therefore, brethren, get this, be steadfast and immovable. Wow. I want to peer into that for a moment because there's some big stuff there. So when we understand this and death has lost its sting, what does that do? It produces a new way of living. He says, be steadfast and immovable in your faith. Oh, there's something so solid and secure under my footing and for my faith, knowing that death cannot hold me, that this is not the end. He says, be steadfast, immovable in your faith. You're going to live differently every day when there isn't this looming threat or intimidation like, when I die, then it's going to get really bad. It's over. Wow. He says it another way. In verse 58, the Passion Translation, I kind of like this one better. He says, live your lives with an unshakable confidence. Wow. It's like the 80s song, AJ. You'll know this. (laughs) Pat Benatar, I think it was. Hit me with your best shot. Right? We say to the, the devil, like, you got nothing on me. You could come at me from the left, you could come at me from the right, from the front or the rear. You got nothing on me because the grave isn't going to hold me and this is not the end. This is not the final chapter in my story. So take that, devil. You can't scare me with death. And if you can't scare me with death, I wonder what could he possibly scare us with? It's like his ultimate weapon for the person who is afraid of not and not knowing what comes after this life. Woo! Hallelujah. Everybody say the best is yet to come. You see, he says it, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13:10. He says, When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part or imperfect will be done away. Wow. So you see, perfection is coming. Right now, we are being perfected, but perfection is coming at a level that none of us can even fully grasp right now. 
Paul says it's like this, even though I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm filled with the Spirit of God, the power of Christ lives in me, I'm a heaven bound, I'm living for eternity, I'm spirit filled, we still live in a fallen, broken, sin filled world. Some of you are like, tell me about it, I mean, I know, <laughs> you know. We still live in a sin-filled, fallen, broken world. Evil exists. Even though Satan has been defeated, he's still right now the prince of the power of the air, roaming the earth to and fro, seeking how he may seek and devour God's people and the lives of God's people, the work he wants to do. Right? It's still happening. And Paul says it in these verses, like, this is, this is corruption right now. There's evil in this world. There's darkness. He says, but when we leave, it's like this. It's like, whew, we take off meant to wear a jacket. That would have been better. You take off <laughs> imperfection or corruption, and we put on perfection, incorruption. We put off mortality, and we put on immortality. It begins to come into view and understanding in a way when we step into it that we can only partly gaze upon right now. The best is yet to come. It's like a new level, a greater level of experience with God's goodness, His presence, all the blessings and joy that He would have. You know, we think about, well, God's given us so much here, and He blessed me so much, and you know, what if that's not all there? How could it be so good? All I can tell you is it's infinitely better than anything we could know right here. The Bible promises us that. In fact, it says that in heaven, listen to this, there's no sin, so there can be no evil. There's no sickness or disease. There's no pain. And listen to me, there's no crying. There's no crying. It says that he wipes away every tear. You can't shed a tear in heaven. So we think, Ah, oh, what if I'm disappointed? You can't be. What, what if, what if I'm, I'm sad because some of my family aren't there with me? You can't be. I, I don't fully know how to put my head around that. All I can tell you is there's no crying, there's no tear, there's nothing but joy and goodness, so there is no possibility for us to know anything except perfection. Isn't that powerful to think about? I kind of think this is just you know, my own thought, but I feel like that there's this awareness or this understanding that we're going to be united with all of our loved ones anyway, and time doesn't exist there, so there's really no boundaries for time to have on our thought process, so it's just this infinite place of joy. Wow, that should compel us now to share the good news with all of those whom we know and love, should it not? You see, there will always be certain limitations in a sin-filled, broken world. Paul refers to uh, verses in 1 Philippians chapter 1 when he goes on. He says, to depart and to be with Christ. In another translation, he says, it's like being liberated from this body and joined fully with Christ. Wow, liberated. That struck me. He's saying that there's like a releasing and a new level of freedom that we will get to when we go to heaven that we're not able to understand now because of the limitations of a finite, sin-filled, broken world. 
The word actually in the Greek, when you study different expressions of that, to depart and be with Christ or to be liberated, it, they use that word to describe how a sailor would unloose an anchor from a ship and set it to sail, or a farmer would unloose a yoke from a team of oxen. Both of them mean to set something free. Let me say it like this. We will be set free and liberated in our heavenly life in a way that we can never know on this side. Wow. That is something to look forward to. That is something to live with a great anticipation for. In fact, Romans 8, 18 through 23, Paul says it like this. He says that the present sufferings of this time aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says, for earnest expectation, creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because creation itself also will be, listen to this, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. New level of freedom. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with pangs until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our body. Boy, this gets me. This blows me away. It's almost like he's saying, I'm not just encouraged. I'm not just comforted when I think about heaven. He says, I'm groaning for it. I'm longing for it. Speaking about how there's pangs and birth pangs that set on and increase as it gets closer and closer to delivery. And then there's this amazing new thing that's beautiful that's birthed out of the process. Paul's referring to his journey towards heaven in this way. He's like, I'm groaning for it right now. I think I want to I want to groan for heaven. I want to long for what God has, the fullness of the inheritance that he has for me even after this. I think about when we go, Katie and I and the kids will go on family vacation every year and we drive and it's a pretty good distance, about 12 hours. Um, and Katie just, she always says, she's like, I, I don't even like traveling with you. <laughs> I know, like, can you believe that? So I don't even like traveling with you because when we're driving there, you're just like, you're, you're, you're just, you're, you want to get there and you're trying to drive fast. You don't want to stop for breaks. You're just like, you're, you're not even fun on the drive. And I'm like, well, of course we want to get to vacation. I want to get where the good stuff is, you know? And she says, to me, this last year when we were getting ready to go, and she's like, I'm just telling you right now, we'll drive separate. If you're going to be, <laughs> you, you, you got to chill out, you know? I'm like, all right. You know, she, so she says to me, she says, I said, yeah, but I, I just want to get where we can start our vacation. She goes, Matt, we start vacation when we leave the house. <laughs> Don't tell her I said this, but that was really good. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's actually true. She's like, so can we enjoy the journey there 
We know it's going to get better when we arrive and the best is yet to come. But can we love and enjoy and appreciate every moment for the journey along the way because we're still on vacation? And I thought to myself as I was preparing these notes and this message, I thought, that's kind of how I need to look at this life. This is like the journey there. This is the road to get to the place where it gets incredible and way better. But everything about this journey is meant to be enjoyed and appreciated every single day because that is a blessing that God gives us as well. He says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you these days, I'm going to have work for you to do, and it's going to get so good, there's, there's only more to look forward to, but please, dear heart, enjoy and love the blessing that every day is meant to be for you that I give you on the journey to get there. Yes, look forward to your arrival, anticipate it, but enjoy every moment on the journey. Hallelujah. Can anybody say amen to that? Wow. And then the last verse that I wanted to share here today is uh, John 14. And so I'm, I really just wanted to paint a picture today before we dig in deeper in the weeks ahead. A lot of the things, some more details that the Bible gives us about heaven, things to expect and anticipate, which is fascinating. But it is amazing to me, I've spent a number, a, a lot of time now being in ministry with people in their final moments, final hours, final minutes, um, days, you know, and it's remarkable to me. It really is. I, I just, I can only share these experiences with you to kind of help you see what I've seen, and maybe you've experienced this, this before with people you know too, but for those who are in Christ and who know the Lord Jesus. In these final moments, it's just like there's a shift that takes place. It's unbelievable. It's like there's this shift, and I hear things. You know, when you hear the same thing again and again, it kind of starts to get your attention. And I, I hear things repeated like, Pastor, I'm ready to go. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to leave. I'm ready to go. God's, I feel God drawing closer and drawing me. It's like the reality of heaven is setting in on them. And the draw is irresistible. Isn't that beautiful? And it's not some expression that someone's trying to say to like build up this false sense of hope, you know, little self-talk speech or something to pump themselves up. It's just this genuine expression of where they're at in their heart and this true desire to step over into perfection. I've heard things like, you know, I'm kind of worried about my family and all that, but I know they're going to be okay. They've got good people around them like you and church family and friends, and I know they're going to be all right, but I'm just, I'm done. I'm ready. I'm ready for what God has for me after this. And there's this sparkle in their eye and this smile on their face that I think the, the world cannot take that from them. Even in this final moment, this is what I see 
from the faith-filled believer, the anticipation for what's after. Death is not the slightest bit intimidating or scary. And these are the people that are at their end. That encourages me. And Jesus, the words of Jesus, he says this while he is still on the earth with his disciples before the crucifixion. John 14. This is one of my favorite verses uh, to share in eulogies and funeral sessions. Jesus says, let your heart not be troubled. Take that in. What I'm about to tell you should cause you to never have a troubled heart. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen to what he says. So now I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow. He's cueing us in on what he's doing for us right now. He's preparing our place, preparing our eternal home. The Bible speaks of it in Hebrews as an eternal Sabbath or an eternal place of rest. Jesus is there right now, and he's preparing a place for every one of us whose hope is in him. And he says, I'm preparing a mansion for you. And when I come back to receive you to myself, there will we be together. This is amazing because when we start to read in Revelation, Nancy, we think about mansions that Jesus talks about. And we read in Revelation chapter 21, it says that the city of heaven is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. And that's just the city. And I did a study on this one time. A lot of theologians have dug into this. It's pretty fascinating. You can't even really do the math on the square footage that exists in that big of a cube space, if you will. It's like, I don't even know how many zeros. can't even contemplate that. But the point is, is that some of these theologians said, it's interesting because by all historical standards and understanding, there's probably been about 100 billion people who have lived in the earth since creation. Give or take a billion. And... He said, if you calculate the square footage in a space like that, there's enough room for every person that's ever lived to have a mansion. That's pretty fascinating. Now, we know not every person will be there. We know that. There's a choice we have to make. Jesus said in these same verses, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have to pass through that narrow gate. To get there. So not every one of the 106 billion people that's walked the face of the earth will be. But it's remarkable to me that the way heaven is created was big enough to hold every single person that's ever walked the face of the earth. You see, the Bible says that the will of God is that none would perish. That gives us 
a look into the heart of the Father. What's the point of that? The heart of the Father desperately, desperately is that you and I will be there. That's his heart, that we will be with him in paradise in that glorious place. And when we think about this, we think it says there's no pain, there's no crying, there's no tears, there's no sin, there's no evil, there's jewels, the foundations. I mean, this is, there's, there's foundations that have all of these jewels, and on the foundations, the walls of the foundations, the names of the apostles are written, and then there are four walls with three gates on each wall, so there's 12 gates. Every gate, 1,500 miles high, mind you, is a solid pearl, and on every gate, there are angels that stand guard, and the gates stay open, and the names of the 12 tribes are written on the gates, and the glory of God radiates through all of heaven. But listen, it says the most beautiful part about it is that when we get there, we will see his face. You see, Moses was told by God, you can't see my face fully. Yeah, I can only show you a part of me. You can't really see me fully. Because in this world, in this mortal body, in this mortal existence, if you did, you'd die. What does it mean, Tom? It means there's so much more of him that we have yet to see. And when we get there, we will see his face. And it says that we will rule and reign with Christ, that we will be his servants forever. I don't know exactly what we'll be doing. Reign and rule and serve him has a whole lot of room for me to think about and wonder but we will reign and rule the universe through the reigning place of the city of Jerusalem over the new earth and the new heaven. And it's going to be fantastic. I can assure you of this. It's way better than your best day will ever be here. <laughs> and we can say, God gives us the ability to say, as we peer into his word, I see it. And I can say, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. Death has lost its hold on me. Amen? Amen. Hey, I'm excited to continue into the rest of the series in these weeks ahead and just really spend some time talking about heaven, getting you excited about heaven, bringing understanding. Most importantly, that there just be a shift in all of us, in our spirits, where we just live differently every day from this point on because of our hope and understanding of what we have to look forward to. Paul says it real clear. Don't stay away from this. You see, in Thessalonians, that whole verse, whenever he said, comfort one another in these things, the context of that story is the people were worried and grieving. They, they didn't have answers to their questions. Where are our loved ones at? What's happening? And there was this kind of this situation in that church in Thessalonica where these people were wrestling with their theology around this. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't have to be worried or afraid. You, you don't have to lose hope for those that have died already or fallen asleep in Christ. You, you have every reason to have hope. You have every reason to have hope because it's, it's incredible and it's going to get so much better 
And listen to me when I tell you these things and you understand it. you got to hear me. Go now and comfort one another with these things. Encourage one another with these things. Have the conversation. Talk about it. Breach the subject and help people get beyond this place where they stay away from it. They're afraid of it. They don't want to talk about it. I'm longing for it. I'm groaning for it. And I know the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship God today before we go.